Hello, you're listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. I'm the guy behind Niagara Moon and uh, this show, obviously. How are you doing? I hope you didn't miss me too much uh, now that I'm putting these out every other week, at least for a while. Uh, I'm very glad to be back. I'm so excited about this episode. I have such a soft spot in my heart for this band, Prefab Sprout. My eyes lit up when a buddy of mine, Joseph Shabison, up in Toronto, Canada, suggested we talk about it for an episode. Love, love, love this album. Steve McQueen or Two Wheels Good, depending on who you ask. Uh, so anyway, yes, as I mentioned, Joseph is joining me today. Uh, I had him on the podcast, man, a year and a half ago, back when it was sort of a different kind of show. Uh, I was super glad he was able to make time to come on again. He's a busy guy, busy, busy, uh, young family guy. So uh, super appreciate his time. He's an absolute delight to talk to. And uh, his music is bomb. It's it's not uh, quite pop music, at least not what he does now, but he makes wonderful, very textured, flavored, uh, ambient, jazzy albums, I would say. He, he uh, you know, he plugs it himself later, but uh, The Fellowship, that's a great one to put on. I really, uh, really appreciate his music. And, uh, oh my God, we both have <laughs> such a fondness for pre- Prefab Sprout. I, let's just get into it. I don't want to delay any longer. Here we are talking about Steve McQueen, or Two Wheels Good. Joseph, how's it going? Amazing to see you again. It is going pretty good on my end. Uh, you're looking well. I, I thought you might have aged ten oh, years dude. in the time since we last spoke. I feel like it's been like um, like that Inception movie or something, like the pandemic exception. Like I was that old Chinese guy <laughs> at the beginning, who like is caught in his own mind for a hundred years. Like it's just been demented. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, uh, I mean, between like, um, yeah, two kids and a pandemic and then like making records and working, it's just been insane, but it's good to know that I haven't aged. That's, that's nice. <laughs> right on. How are you? I am pretty darn well. Uh, just been a pretty productive year for me music-wise. Tell me. I've been enjoying doing this podcast, yeah. Uh, got a new album coming out pretty soon. I think it's probably a little premature to, to share all the, the details of that, but I've been working out some cool stuff around that, and I'm excited. I think it's going to be my uh, my biggest release oh, yet. It's certainly my most out there collection of songs. Yeah, I had a great time making it. Is it piano mostly, or is it a whole bunch of stuff? Oh, it's a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. So cool. um, unlike my uh, my side project, which is my own name, just piano music kind yeah. of for relaxation this is like it's like a kitchen sink sort of album there's a whole cool. lot of sounds going on um mostly digital based but uh you know I'm, I'm writing the songs singing them oh dude that's amazing yeah no it was, it's um it's been a blast and i think i'm really finding my own sound more and more which is uh again kind of kind of getting a little out there a little psychedelic but also uh I'm not sleeping on the songwriting either. That's great. So I'm great. really excited to share it with people. That's really exciting. Also, like, yeah. nice to actually 
keep busy and sane and find creativity during yes the last year and a half. I don't know about you, Extremely but like, grateful for that. Yeah, I think it saved my ass to be perfectly honest. Like even though it was insane at times, just the fact that I had stuff to keep me going yes. and help me feel like grounded and creative and like I wasn't just existing in this weird fucking vacuum yeah. like it really it helped with my sanity in a major way that's the magic of art isn't it like you just yeah. despite whatever else might be going on I mean you can just you feel like you have a purpose and you're working towards something and you're you know you're endlessly discovering and kind of just in a state of wonderment versus how many shows are left on Netflix <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And you get a little bit of that too, but yeah. And it was like a weird, like mental bubble that I could go into that would sort of like, you know, just insulate me from everything else. Like yeah. just with like how insane childcare could get, especially when like daycare was canceled and we were in <sighs> lockdown. Just to be able to go out to the studio and like focus on something yeah. and tune everything else out and feel like an individual for yes. a little bit, you know. It helped. It definitely, definitely helped. I can't helped. even imagine, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of wonderful insular mental bubbles, we're talking about Prefab <laughs> yeah. Sprout today. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. Yeah, if we're going to start to get into it, we're talking about uh, Two Wheels Good or Steve McQueen, depending on what country you're from, from 1985. So I didn't know that it was Two Wheels Good until this morning when I read the wiki trying to like brush up. But I was like, holy shit, I didn't even realize that it had a second name for an American release. Or North American. They did that for the lawyers. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, they were worried about, you know, getting in trouble with the Steve McQueen estate here in the United States. Because <laughs> lawyers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the spiritual true title of the of the album is Steve McQueen. But it really works both ways. Totally. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's so much to dig into here. And I, I have a lot of enthusiasm for this album today, but uh, I know about this band because I lived in Japan for a while, and they have a whereabouts uh, in Kyoto. Cool. I, I studied abroad out there, worked out there for two and a half years. I was, I was out there for a good while, and uh, they they have an audience out there. I bet. Prefrabu sprout, and the, the, my buddy of mine <laughs> had put on one of their songs, and I was like, "Ooh, what is this?" So yeah. But oh, I in imagine. North America, there, there's no who knows about them over here. Yeah, I feel like it's like a band for heads versus being something that's particularly widespread and well known. I think I think they did well in Britain, from what I can tell. They have their their following there. But yeah, so I, I was going to ask, like, being over here, or in your case in Canada, how the hell you'd find out about these guys? So okay, I want to go back to the Japan thing eventually sure. because I'm very curious. Just because I feel like it makes perfect sense to me that they're big there just because of like, I, I feel like Japan is a, I mean, they have a predisposition towards like sophisticated pop music. Yes. And I think Prefab Sprout to me is sort of the epitome of that, especially with Thomas Dolby's production. Mm. Like I think that maybe just as a rock band or like they'd be less appealing to the Japanese, but like that combination of Patty McAloon's, uh, delivery but then with that production style it's kind of like perfectly tailored tailored to a japanese audience so it makes that makes sense but the way i heard about them is so i think with a lot of things you got to kind of be ready to hear them and ready to get into it and 
I had been touring with Destroyer for years yeah. and like every night at the, we'd be on the bus and inevitably someone would end up DJing and a lot of the time it was Dan or Ted and apparently they had played Prefab Sprout a million times oh. and I had not noticed. Maybe I was too drunk, maybe I was too tired, but like both of them were huge fans and then – one night, and I believe it was in Germany, actually, in Berlin after we played, uh, Dan put on When Love Breaks Down. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I heard it and I was like, what? and I was actually ready to hear it, hear yes. it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is just perfect. And then they played like Appetite and started kind of going mm -hmm. a bit deeper because once he saw that I was into it and – uh yeah, and then I just was all in. And, like, I would say that I'm not a – I don't know their whole discography, but, like, when it comes to, like, um, Steve McQueen and uh, – was it from from Langley? No, no. From Langley to Memphis the, or something like that. Langley Park yeah, to yeah, Memphis, yeah. yeah. From Langley Park to Memphis. That album I know super well as well. And it's, That's like – That's a great one. Yeah, and it just – in that moment when I was ready to hear it, it was like the perfect thing. It was just such an incredible record. And like I kind of just – from there, it was, you know, all I listened to for the most part for the better part of a couple months. Yeah. And then now it's sort of like this go-to where I would say once every two months, I'll spend a week digging back in and then put it aside for a bit. But it's just such a classic for me. Um, by the side note, I totally – here now, uh, Prefab Sprouts influence in something like Kaput, that like shimmer oh. 80 sound. Like that's a no-brainer now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, totally. And I I also think like, you know, both Dan and Patty, it's like both I feel like are not They're afraid. They're both breathy. Breathy, but also verbose. Like yeah. not afraid to really dig into sort of like weirder, verbose, sometimes almost like painful lyrics yeah. that I think if anyone else delivered them, you kind of be like, ooh, it's a bit cringe. But like the way they do it, there's just so much purpose behind it. And yeah, it's it's amazing. Man, where do we really dig in here? I mean, if, if we're talking about the lyrics and just kind of the the tone of Patty McAloon's songwriting, and then considering the jazz influence too, it's almost like if Steely Dan was heartfelt, which they never are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. They never are. <laughs> yeah, totally. And but I think I guess I guess that's the name of the game is the heartfeltness of it. Where it's with like there's that same sort of like verbose, sometimes like overtly intellectual. Yeah. You think <laughs> references and so yeah, but then but at the core of it, yeah, is is real emotion. Whereas with Steely Dan, there's a sort of detachment that's wonderful, but. Right. Markedly different. Yeah, it's a different shtick. But I think Prefab Sprout and I just think heartfelt nostalgia. Uh, in he's Patty McAloon is so in his own world in the best possible way. <laughs> but he's just yes. like in his own head and stays there and probably doesn't even – he's not even aware of it maybe. He, he has no idea just how on an island he is. With uh, totally the, the and, emotional place he comes from in his songs, yeah, and like goes for stuff that I mean, I even think is cringy, but I love like 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 some of his like reference. He can do it. He can, and it's like a reference like 
like I've, I mean, I should have pulled up the lyrics, but it's cause my memory is terrible. But like he, he, like in that song, this is on on not on prefab, but on from Langley to uh, from Langley Park to Memphis. Langley Park to Memphis. Yeah, it's like. Uh, Hey Manhattan, here I am. That song, and it's like, it's like the lyrics are like painfully so dumb um, in a way. Yeah, and also like earnest to the point of being like, oh, dude, like just chill. But also, <laughs> you love it because it's like, it's so honest. It's, you know, it's just his heart yes. is on a string. Earnest is the word I was looking for earlier. Yeah, that's it. And I think that's why I love it. Is there's no like pretension. There's no sort of like facades being put up. It's just like somebody bearing their soul and being very clever at times, very embarrassing at times, very vulnerable. But it's like you very much get a sense of who he is, which I think is often not the case with singer songwriters, yeah. but the ones who are like incredible, you do. And I think he just he nails it. And then his voice is just the oh best. yeah, it's so no, high and good. It's it's. It's a lovely gray September morning. Yeah, totally. The fog's rolling in. That's their whole sound, especially this record. Yeah, no, it's incredible. So what was the first song that you heard when you when you first like got into this record? The first song I heard from this album, I mean, it was probably when Love Breaks Down. That's that was the yeah. at the time that was the, the standout single. And I, I feel like that's the first one I remember really sinking in for me, like uh my love and I, we are boxing clever. She'll never crowd me out. Like, okay, that's Oscar Wilde-esque yeah. uh, poetry there. Uh, but I really, I quickly yeah. like just took the whole thing in in its entirety because I could tell this was an album where like every track was going to be good. Yeah. I just want to, you know, it's a dream world that you kind of enter for like 40 minutes at a time. Absolutely. And I think too, like it should be noted at least for my entry point that I think Thomas Dolby's production yes. was as much a factor in me loving it as the songwriting. Where it's like perfect marriage. It was just it really is. Absolutely. And like all of the sampling he does and like the way he takes the background vo- vocals and will often like chop them up and put them into the fair light and then like Wendy Smith. Yeah, what's it is that in is that an appetite? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like it's so thoughtful and it's so deliberate, but it's also like incredibly overt. It's not subtle production. And yeah, it's it's perfect. I think, I mean, he he also produced um, Dog Eat Dog, that Joni Mitchell album from oh, the 80s. Oh, I haven't heard that one. And oh my God, it's the best. Like, I love it. And he meet like everything he does, I feel like is so thoughtful and deliberate. And... He's not afraid to shy away from really overt production techniques, but also doesn't or manages to find a way that like everything he does is in service of the song or the lyrics or what it's trying to convey versus a lot of producers who I think just try to do big moves, but aren't necessarily being very thoughtful to like what they're doing for the song's purpose and meaning. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. I I can't stress that enough that, Patty MacLoon's songwriting, I mean, the whole band is super strong, and we can get into the the other members uh, put, putting in their, their work here, but, like, Patty MacLoon plus Thomas Dolby for the albums that Dolby produced, it's, like, such a perfect... It's Lennon-McCartney. The roles are different, but, like, totally. they're such kindred spirits and are so on the same page in terms of, like, what vibe they're going for and how to, like, fully 
bring out a song because I mean Patty McAloon is a great songwriter and the the vocal delivery and the lyrics and it's all there, but he doesn't have that vision that Dolby has for filling out every aspect of a song and just kind of the layout, the the arrangement, the just the like cinematic quality of of what his yeah, songs can be. So absolutely. They, you put those two guys together and it's yeah, it's magic. It's also just that I mean amazing time in musical history too where it's like sampling was just becoming mm-hmm. a thing and like really coming into its own so you had the technology like whatever like the emu sp12s and stuff like that and then also fair lights mm-hmm. which are incredible and have their own fucked up weird sound because of their technological limitations and then you have like somebody who knows how to use it like thomas dolby with a songwriter like patty McAloon, and then like the marriage of all of those things and just like that weird limited technology and like yeah it's just it's perfect it's so good and i'd say it was lightning in a bottle well, but they have at least like three or four other albums that I love and that they kept working together. Oh my God. Also too, like what I love, and this is a different album, but um, from Langley Park to Memphis, you could tell they fucked with tape speed a lot because you'll hear some songs and I, again, like terrible with yeah, yeah. my memory's just garbage, but I'll notice that Patty's voice will be dropped way down. Albuquerque. <laughs> Yeah. And then, but even some songs, you can tell they recorded it fast and then sped the whole thing down in order to like get the groove to sit better. But like his voice gets affected. And I just think, man, what a cool thing to be doing. Yeah. Really ahead of their time. Especially for something that was trying to be overtly pop, you know, like it wasn't trying to be weird. Anyway, they're just, they're fucking, they're really. They didn't shy away from anything, and I love I love that about it. Yeah, I mean, back to what you were saying about like, there's no disguising what they're doing. He's not putting on airs. Like, uh, you know, I, this album reminds me a little bit of Roxy Music's uh, Avalon. Oh God! And yeah. I love Avalon, but that feels like a band kind of put like putting that sound on as a costume almost. You know, that was just like one part of their career. This is yeah. like. This is the core, true, like, prefab sprout sound. This is where they live. And as great as their other albums truly are, and I don't, if you get into one, you should get into multiple, but, like, this is just, like, the blueprint of everything for them. Uh, totally. And I think with Avalon, too, it's, like, an interesting reference because, you know, I think it's clear that, like, Brian Ferry loves jazz and loves, like, smooth music, music in yeah. the same way that, like... Yeah, in the same way that like clearly Patty McLoon loves like Gershwin and old songwriters and that whole kind of like Tin Pan Alley era. But I think Brian Ferry, just being who he is and like the way he thinks about style and image and like the way that how like, you know, thought out Roxy Music's image was, I think it's the same with Avalon where even if he means it, which I think he does, there's a lot of thought put into like presentation yeah. and putting on and putting on airs, not even in a negative way. There's a self-awareness. Whereas with Prefab Sprout, there it always to me seemed more earnest and less, um, yeah, like just less, 
image focused. It was always about like, just like having to tell these stories and sing these songs versus Avalon and Roxy Music and Brian Ferry, which is What kind of statement is plus, this going to make? You know, for better or for worse, they are, they are mindful of that. And especially you hear Patty McElhone talk about a later weirder album, like I Trawl the Megahertz, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to disparage that record, but I have a bit of a harder time getting into it. But you just hear him like talking about making that and the influence he was kind of influences he was incorporating and just where his mind was at. But you hear him go on about it and you're like, you have no idea how you sound. You are just in Patty land. I mean, and you love it. You love him for it, but it's like, yeah, this is all in your head, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. Also, sorry, sidebar too, speaking of producers, did you know that all the songs on Steve McQueen were produced by uh, Thomas Dolby except for When When Love Breaks Down? Did not know that, but that makes sense now that I think of it, but still a shocker. It was produced by this Produced by this guy named Phil Thornley, huh. who like pro- who produced like the Cure's pornography, and who also produced classic "Torn" by Natalie and Brulia. Okay, so they had somebody else who knew what, knew what they were doing, obviously. Yeah, and clearly somebody who was like more in the pop realm, like because he also produced like Cindy Lauper down the road yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, I I mean, it's just interesting that like, the biggest hit was not produced by Thomas Dolby, but. Also, it seems like Phil Thornley is like a super heavy hitter when it comes to like that era of production. Yeah. The key word here with this album, with Steve McQueen, is adore. Particularly the the first four songs, like I adore. Yes. I forgot they were all clumped up at the top too, like my favorite tracks, just one after the other. Stone Cold classics, listening to this the other day. Like, yeah, it's nuts. Like appetite too. Whenever, like when I heard that, I was just like, "This is so catchy." But what the fuck are these lyrics? Like they're so heavy and verbose. And then, yeah, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, that's where I really started to notice some finer points of of Dolby's uh, production. Like the weird little yeah. kind of synth stomp that happens in the second verse, where he has like a counter rhythm going like don't 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 don't, and it's like in the back kinda. totally. Like, I didn't notice it the first few times I ever heard the song, but it's like, oh, this is adding so much flavor. Totally. And also, too, the way that I think he, like, for almost all of the background vocals are sampled into the Fairlight and then performed yeah. as a synthesizer. And it's like, not not everything, but a lot of it. And it's like, you know, people weren't doing that at the time. Like, I think it was happening a bit. Like, I think that 10cc, uh, is that I'm not in love? Is that what they do? Anyway. Maybe I'm screwing that up, but like it, it's happened a bit, but like how overt it was throughout the entirety of Steve McQueen and how much the background vocals were like affected and sampled and then performed. Yeah, back in 85, like that, that's yeah, it's amazing. right on the cusp. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not like they needed to do that to make up for like Wendy Smith. Okay. So Patty McLoon's wife, uh, such okay. a great, I believe it. I'm at least at one time they were, they were married. I'm pretty sure. Uh, mm-hmm. they, she is such a awesome vocal companion for him. It's the same kind of just breathy, like otherworldly yeah. tone. They're so simpatico that way. And just any contribution she has on any of these songs is like awesome for backing vocals. Truly. Uh, he's got his brother on bass, Martin McLoon, a great underrated bassist. 
Yeah. No, incredible. He's so good. And apparently I was reading like the history, like it was Patty McLoon talking about this. And he was saying that when like a lot of these songs were written, it was like they were, I guess in the early days anyways, it was like they were rehearsing in like their dad's gra- uh, gas station. Yeah, yeah. And, and like they were both sharing an amp. And I was just like, oh man, it's so fucking great. Yeah, it's it's really a family affair in a lot of ways. It's which totally fits. There's no like, you know, if you had a weak link in a group like this, I feel like it'd pop out pretty quickly. Yeah. This is pretty sophist. So people call this album Sophistapop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is terrible. Like you know what they mean, but it just sounds terrible. But it's it really like sophisticated is another one of the the first words I think of with, especially when you get to a song yeah. like Hallelujah. I'm trying to imagine like covering that and pulling that off. No, I mean, and it's one of those things where they it, it it's it's a bit cringy, but it's a pretty apt description of what it is, you know. Like this, and I feel like there were a bunch of uh, songwriters at that time that were kind of like in that vein. I mean, I think like you know, Roxy Music and Brian Ferry is a good example. Like I think about like David Sylvian, who's maybe a bit of a weirder example of yeah. that, but like people who were making like pop ish music and who were charting, but who were also like you know, putting a tremendous amount of thought into production and vocals and lyrics and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's truly, I mean, to this day stands up as being a, an unbelievably sophisticated pop album. Yeah, I, I, I think it's still gonna live on. I think, like you said, you kind of got to be really into music for something like this album to pop up on your radar. But mm-hmm. I feel like its its legacy is still yet to be fully realized. I think more people are going to gravitate towards it. Totally. And I mean, I think I, I see the way kids, what kids know about music these days because they've grown up with Spotify and the internet versus like, you know, I'm fucking 40. I didn't have that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, look, I think if if somebody is predisposed for this type to, to, to this type of music, the algorithm is going to show it to them. And as soon as anyone who's mildly inclined to like this kind of stuff, listens to Steve McQueen, I feel like instantly it becomes one of their favorites. Like there's no one who I've played this record for that has not liked it. So that's a pretty amazing track record. You know, like I obviously I'm, tailoring who I'm playing it to. Yeah. To yeah. folks who like, they gotta be probably, ready. Like you said. Yeah. But instant, like instant favorite for everyone. So I was like, that that's an amazing thing. So I, I also put, it's different, like slower, but I also put, um, oh my God, uh, the Blue Nile in the same mm. camp of just like emotional, beautiful, at times verbose, but more sparse songwriting. Yeah. Similar, similar era, similar, like the same place. Uh, I guess the Blue Nile were from um, Scotland, but it's like, uh, yeah, there was just like, there was also a willingness, I think, back then for, you know, like like this type of music was charting, which is pretty amazing. Like, I don't think this, it's not possible for that to happen these days. But back then, those types of bands were on the top 40 or whatever. And that's, yeah, it's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, well put. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of depressing to think, but you know, th- this album asks a lot of the listener in terms of like, yeah, you know, c- critics at the time were, you know, wondering if it wasn't going to be too oblique or abstract, mm-hmm. 
you know, for, for the regular listeners kind of attention span, like there's not artifice, like something like a Steely Dan album, but it, it really is just, some people might think it's like overly constructed. It's like too yeah. elegant or kind of dainty in a way. And, but it's, it's a bit of a slow burn too though, right? Because yeah, like, yeah. it never like charted super well. And then, but like, Patty McLean was saying that like it's gone gold and like I think just like as time has gone on people just keep getting into it and its reputation grows and grows and grows so like yeah it's it's neat in that respect that it wasn't super critically well received or like it wasn't like the album of the year or whatever but it's just kept growing and growing in reputation because it it obviously was made in the 80s but it's really not too tied to that time even the way the, no. the next album from Langley Park to Memphis is like they avoided a lot of the sonic trappings of the time for the most part. Like they just Absolutely. celebrated like the best that that generation had to offer would sound. hundred percent. Um, yeah. What, what do you, when you think of this album, obviously I think we can probably both agree like every track clicks, but like, what are your, your top favorites there? I think probably the same as you, like, um, I mean, when Love Breaks Down, I just, that that drew me in, and then Appetite got me, like, absolutely hooked. But what's that song, and then, okay, hold on a second, I gotta find it here. Uh, it's, uh, what's this thing, uh, oh, hold on a second. Desire is a slip-figured creature who changes her mind. Yeah, yeah. On, that's, I guess it's on Desire, is that the track? That the, I got six things on my mind. You're no longer, and you're no longer. I can see you loving that synth yeah. tone that's throughout that song. Oh, it's the best! It really reminded me of your own your own ambient music. I have a hundred percent pulled from this record when I was trying to find sounds, without a doubt. So, like that one, when I just when I like really like dug into the lyrics, I was just like, "Holy shit, what are you doing? Like, this is so weird." It's essentially and a breakup good. song. Like, I'm over you. But it's put through like a James Joyce literary filter yeah. or something. Absolutely. And like not to be super old guy who fucking laments the way that music used to be. And like I think there's a lot of amazing shit coming out right now. But lyrically, like, I mean, yeah, I, I do think a lot of what I hear on the radio now there's a lot of amazing shit and it's great for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. But lyrically, I don't think people are trying to do stuff like this anymore. Like it's like that that has been dumbed down in terms of pop music. And it's very elevated, um, yeah. Yeah, like this is just he's going for it in a way that is yeah, it's fucking amazing. Are there any songs where you're still like, I have no idea what this is or what he's like Blueberry Pies, I, that's one of the songs I haven't listened to as much, but I always chuckle too because uh, back to Kyoto, Japan, um, when I worked at a live venue for a little while and like served mm -hmm. drinks, another guy that worked there, uh, he started kind of a jokey band, but kind of serious in the sense that they did perform and stuff, but just him and these other like 30-something music hipsters formed the Blueberry Boys, uh, inspired <laughs> yeah. by Blueberry Pies and, you know, like had a photo taken where it looked like they were all on the cover of Steve McQueen and stuff. <laughs> oh, it's good. I mean, I, I'd have to listen again. I, it's funny. I, I planned on listening to this album again in preparation for this and then life got in <laughs> the way, got away from but you. then, 
But like, what what are the lyrics to Blueberry Pies? Do you remember? Like, what? It, maybe I can Google it. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It's it's a shorter one too. Uh, Lying is killing the good things in me. Ask me what the time is, baby. Ask me, honey. My eyes shift and slide. Sure, there are reasons oh, yeah. for acting like this, but reasons are kill, kill, killing the everything we do. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it Maybe just it's about being duplicitous with your partner or something. Yeah, I think with all of these albums, like there's there's always a few that like don't hit quite as hard, and I think that like this album is clearly front-loaded. You know, there's some great stuff in the back half, but like... You know, yeah, they put all like the, the the classics right at the front, which fine. Yes. I'm I'm into that. That works. A hundred percent. But this is like, you know, I'm not I'm not searching blueberry pies and like, <laughs> playing that for my friends. That's not yeah, my go to. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm I'm curious. Like in Japan, was this also sort of like an album for heads, or was it more widely known? Um, well, I can only speak to, you know, 2013, 2014, uh, audiences, yep. but it's for heads, but I think there's more of those kind of heads in Japan. Right. Like, same right, right, right. thing with stone roses, you know, even oh. like people are pretty into rock music in, in America. A lot of the time you say elephant stone or something what? like it just, it missed <laughs> yeah. this continent. Um, and I would, I would think Japan's probably more similar to Britain, where nowadays it's like if you're gravitating towards this kind of stuff, this album will pop up on your radar. Um, and then I can't yeah. really speak to how it charted at the time, but I also got to believe yeah. Japanese audiences were, were more interested in it in the 80s than, yeah. than uh, America. Dude, um, America in the 80s, we couldn't even tell that Born in the USA is about like the problematic <laughs> aspects of our country and government. People couldn't even get there. You just, li- you, the, can, we, yeah. can, we can only listen to like four words at a time, half the time. Yeah, no, I think, I think at that point it was probably much harder to break through to North American audiences if you were a band that was making this kind of music. Oh yeah, no. Although Steely Dan, I mean, not that it's the same, but like they kind of did it. They're in a weird exception. In a yeah. weird way. They really are. I don't know how they pulled that off. <laughs> um, cool, yeah. I mean, this album it's the best truly yeah it's i I really could go on about it for hours but it's it's like i and i think uh if you're listening to this because you are a fan of niagara moon like i'm definitely pulling some things from these guys like go back to this album you'll definitely like it um if you're just a general well if you've gotten this far in the podcast you're probably yeah go go listen to steve mcqueen and then also check out jordan the comeback is weirder and more ambitious and longer, but equally impressive. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with that record, but so I'm not. But I'm actually gonna. I'm. I will go and check that out too. I'm like I said. It's only that one and from uh, Langley Park to yeah, Memphis yeah. that I really know. But yeah, they're just absolute monsters of songwriting and production. It's it's a total dream team. All right, Joseph. If we're gonna sum up this lovely album in three words, what are you gonna assign to it? Oh, okay. Let me see. Uh, okay, hold on. <laughs> I can go first too if you want. Okay, wait. Wonderfully thought out. Yeah. Okay. That's three words. Uh, what about you? Well, I'm gonna say sophisticated. I just I can't get around that. Yeah. You have to. Uh, earnest. Yeah. And it's, it's two. I'm cheating. It's two words, but cloudy day. Okay. This is the good. It's the perfect album to just 
wander around. You know, the weather's getting colder. It's kind of damp. It's the, the time of yeah. contemplation. This is the perfect album for that. Yeah, it does really feel like the fall for sure. Yeah. There's something very much uh, uh, that's just what it feels like. I, I totally agree. The sweet September rain. Oh my god! And then all those fucking voices <laughs> just kind of like echo out in harmony. Oh my god! But yeah, I've truly pulled so much in terms of sonic references for for my own work from this record, without a doubt. Yeah. So, so speaking of which. Uh, People want to check out your own music and what you're up to. What would you uh, point them towards? Um, well, I just released an album under my own name called The Fellowship. And I released an album called Philadelphia with two friends of mine, Nick Kurgovich and Chris Harris, which I'm really proud of. Um, so I'd say those two for now. And then I, yeah, there's two albums that are in the works that are coming out shortly. I'm just mixing wow. one. and. And with it was a collaboration with my friend Andre Etier, who's an amazing singer-songwriter from Toronto. And then Shabison Kurgovich and Harris are making a new record nice. in November. And also me and my friend Kieran uh, are putting out an album that's coming out in their new year on Seance Center. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the fellowship when I was, I, I think I put it on for a long drive uh, earlier this year, and it's it's uh, it's instrumental music. Probably fair to to call it ambient, some jazz yeah. influence. But now that I'm thinking of it, it's kind of like the the quieter downbeat instrumental moments from an album like Steve McQueen, just fleshed out into tone poems. So, needless to say, great atmosphere. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. This has been wonderful, and just. To get to talk about this album and gush about how much I love it is always, uh, you know, something I'm into yeah, doing. You, you put it in the, the email and uh, my eyes lit up. I'm like, yes, I want to talk about that album. So thank you so much for this <laughs> opportunity. My pleasure. So that's it. I don't know about you, but I had a ton of fun. Music, it's just an endless fountain of, uh, of wonder, say I. So I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks talking about dun, 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 Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Mm -hmm. uh, that one's a long time coming. So I look forward to seeing you then. And until then, uh, ta-ta.